Warning, the following podcast contains adult language and childish comedy. Listener discretion is advised. And now, please adjust your headphone volume to an unreasonable level and enjoy the most dynamic and electrifyingly entertaining podcast ever to conquer cyberspace. This is Amish Baby Machine. Hello, friends, and welcome to the most powerful podcast ever created, the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast starring me, Dags. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for stopping by. And of course, as always, across this powerful oaken desk is my good friend, Mike Rez. Hello, Dags. How are you? Good. Good. Powerful show today. I'm excited. Yeah. Good to see you. Yeah, we're going to dive into something that we don't normally dive into. So, What's that, Pornography? Well, no, I said something we don't normally do. Oh, normally, dive. okay. Yeah. Ugh. I adjusted my microphone. What do you think? Uh, yeah, it looks great. Yeah, and normally the, the tip would get in the way. Yeah. So I can see you now. Right, yeah. So it's definitely not in the way anymore. You move the <laughs> shaft down a little bit. <laughs> the tip is pointing Powerful. at your nose. Powerful. Yeah. My nose is big like a pickle. Oh, the barn is already <laughs> heating up. Yeah. God, it's going to be a Why hot show that? today. It's a barn. It heats up. It's what it, what it does. It's probably all the hay in your loft. Yes. Powerful show today. We're going to do a murder mystery. Do, do, do. Yes. I'm going to find powerful, scary music like Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. You're going to get like Robert Stack. God, he, why was he so scary? You just, they played that music and then you heard Robert Stack and yeah, that's it. You think, did, how many of those mysteries did they solve because of that, that <laughs> probably, show? probably none of them yeah it's like america's most wanted yeah. that actually that that actually solved caught yeah. yeah they actually caught a lot of that was fugitives but the unsolved mysteries of unsolved mysteries may have gone unsolved what was his name it was like joe walsh i think of the oh yeah life's walsh. been good to him yeah yeah i don't know his first name he had a powerful leather jacket though he always wore right yeah he was uh he was big. I mean, couldn't find him any. I mean, every time you turned on your TV, you found him. Yeah, that was in the heydays of Fox. Right. Fox was sweet back then. Yeah, it was uh, like the advent of the Simpsons when they had terrible, terrible animation going on. Do you remember uh, what show the Simpsons was on? Tracy Allman. Whoa. Yeah. Sweet. Yep, I remember. Herman's Head and all those sweet Fox shows. Yeah, back when it was really cool to watch Fox. At least the, the network TV part of it. I don't know. I don't watch a lot of Fox, uh, like their sitcoms and shows and stuff anymore. I don't even know what, what are they anymore? The Simpsons and Family Guy. <laughs> oh, it's all the new <laughs> stuff, right? You're right. Yeah. <laughs> powerful show today. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us on our powerful journey today. Powerful couple beverage reviews. Let's, yeah. Let's go to so that. Let's beverage go to the right first there. one. All right. So today, um, for the, the energy drink, um, we should we cheers the the flock early, since we're talking about what we're what I'm drinking. Yeah. All right. There's no rules. There's only right. Right. So today I have a monster juice mango loco energy drink. 
It has vitamins and taurine. Now, I've heard rumors about what taurine really is. Bull urine? Bull urine? That's what I heard. Because, you know, it's got like the tour, like toro, which is Spanish for bull. I'm Mexican, so I know. And then it's also got the word urine in it. Mm. I know cats need it. It's a powerful amino acid that cats need. Really? Yes. Interesting. Now, last week, the uh, the energy drink that we of choice had some funny words on it. That must be like an energy drink thing, because this mango loco is a heavenly blend of exotic juices, certain to attract even the most stubborn spirit. Whoa. Sexy. It is. It's a powerful aphrodisiac. Yeah. This uh, skeleton on here has a, a top that's covering her bosoms. <laughs> Did you say bosoms? I said bosoms. Look at skeleton has like a bra on. Whoa. Well, that's kind of like that uh what is it? The Mexican Day of the Dead? Yeah, it's definitely that artwork, the Dia de los Muertos. Oh, wow, easy for you to say. Not really. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely tell the the dude skeletons and the chick skeletons. How are they different? Uh, one's got a bone and uh the other one <laughs> does not. Sweet. <laughs> So what do you think? You're enjoying a beverage. I mean, you're enjoying a sip of that powerful beverage right now. What do you think? Uh, it's good. It's sweet. Tastes like mango. If you've yes. had a mango drink, you've had Monster Mango Loco. <laughs> God, I love mango. <laughs> Mango's, what is with mango? It's really good. Eating it raw and drinking it. Yes. Processed. I enjoy papaya, too. Papaya's good. You enjoy, like, powerful papaya? Yeah, papaya has powerful enzymes. What do so they do? They break down the powerful protein. So next time you're smoking your meats and you're just eating a ton of food, take some papaya in. It'll Trust break me. it up. Yes. That's He's- a pro tip from the Amish Baby Machine, the most powerful podcast ever created. Do you get uh, papaya sweats, like meat sweats? <laughs> <laughs> I get papaya peas. Mm, yeah. Yes. It's the worst type of pee. Powerful. Yes, we do have a powerful episode today. We are going to talk about, we're going to talk about the smiley face killers. Scary. It really is creepy. Yep. We're going to get into that. And uh, we have song of the day, as always, and another powerful beverage that I consumed. Yeah, I see it sitting on your desk. What is that? It is indeed brewing. Strawberry Fields Sour Ale. It's a pretty can. Now, obviously, Sour Fields, I mean, Sour Fields, Strawberry Fields. <laughs> You're even is, looking at the can. <laughs> I know. I, I don't have my powerful glasses on. I'm just imagining what it looks like. Mm. It's powerful Strawberry Fields, obviously based on the Rolling Stones song. Obviously. Yes. I can't get no da-da-da, Strawberry Fields. Nailed it. God, we're having a good time today. Powerful. Powerful beverage by Indeed Brewing Strawberry Fields. Now tell us a little bit about Strawberry Fields, Mike Rez. Okay, I can do that. The story behind Strawberry Fields Sour Ale by Indeed Brewing. According to IndeedBrewing.com, it's jam-packed with juicy goodness. Strawberry Fields Ale is back. Yes, it was gone, and now it's back. (laughs) It's back. <laughs> it's originally uh, created as part of the new Belgium Brewings beer with the uh, Vierden collaboration. Um, it's got some stuff in it that I can't pronounce. It provides a tart backdrop. We're going to try to pronounce that a little bit later here. 
uh, for playful notes of strawberry to pucker you up. Whoa. Did you get pucked up? No, I didn't get pucked up. What's the, what is the, the booze content on here? Uh, the booze content is yeah. 5.7. Okay. What we seeing average, above average for a craft beer? Where are we at? Uh, for a craft beer, probably about average. Okay. So your IBUs, though, that was 18. So you're getting higher in your IBUs. So that's the bitterness unit for the year, for the flock that uh, don't know. But, of course, the beer nerds, beer nerds know. They do. The geeks, the nerds, the spazzes. Can we still call them spaz? No, that's offensive. To, Can't call anyone a spaz. To the spazzes? Yep. Okay. No spazzing. Nope. So, uh, but uh, your uh, notes of strawberry, which, of course, tart and citrus. Did you get any of those besides the strawberry? Strawberry. It's all you get. It's it? And it's flat tasting. Gross. See, yeah, so when I drink something, I like the... Uh, whatever the nerds call it, you know, you have that first top taste and then, right. and then you have the finish, whatever this, you just drink it in a strawberry and then it just goes flat. I didn't enjoy it. Really? What did it look like? How was your head? Whoa. It was, uh, powerful. We took a picture. Make sure you check it out. Follow us on Twitter at Amish B machine. Enjoy us on Instagram. Also Amish baby machine. You know, it looked like what you would think it would be, just a red strawberry-looking drink. I was, you know, looking at it, it looks cool, right? You'd think it would be... Right. The artwork is nice. The artwork is cool. Strawberry fields. You know, psychedelic rock. I was hoping for more. It's strawberry. Uneventful. Wow, that sounds great. Should have had something else going on in there. Yeah. What else would you add to it? Or what else would you want? So I was thinking maybe more tartness, more intense tartness, and a little sweetness in there, too. Really? Yes, because sweetness is my weakness. Well, obviously. Yes. That's, that's uh, for sure. Uh, did, did it taste like uh, Belma hops? It really did, did yes. It? How about A15 Independence yeast? Yes, hints of the yeast. Okay. Did it also taste like pale? Wheat, torrified wheat, and flaked oats. Of course. Did it also taste like lactobacillus? Yes, it's one of my favorite bacteria. Yes. Is it? All right. And and strawberry concentrate, obviously. We we just went over that. Yes. All right. Well, what would you rate it on a scale of one to five? Passion fruits. Passion fruits. (laughs) Out of one to five passion fruits, I will go for me. 2.5. 2.5. That's not a lot of passion. Now, see, strawberry fields, I get it. It's strawberry, but it needed something else to kick it up. Yeah. Something. That's why I like raspberry over strawberry. Raspberry's got a little more intense flavor. Strawberry's a little flat. Right. So they needed to stack it with something. Like a raspberry. Or passion fruit. Or passion fruit. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't horrible. High potential. Potential to make it delicious. Unfortunately, it didn't get there. 2.5 passion fruits out of five. All right. Well, there you go. Strawberry Fields Sour Ale by Indeed Brewing. Had potential. Didn't quite get there. No. But if you like flat strawberry beer, go for it. Yes. Your passion fruit meter might be high. No, I don't want it flat. I want it busty strawberry. A busty strawberry. Well... Who doesn't? No, I know. Who doesn't? 
powerful 2.5 beverage of the day. Indeed brewing strawberry field sour ale. Now we do have the powerful smiley face killers coming up, which is an intense subject. It is. It really is. Let's get into the song of the day. Sure. Then we will powerfully segue into the smiley face killers. All right. So the uh, song of the day that was chosen is Ultravox's Reap the Wild Wind. I could see that on a Taco Bell commercial. Powerful. Reap the Wild Wind? Yes. Yeah, I I agree with you. Did you know this was the first single off of the Quartet album? Yes, I do have the powerful Quartet album, circa 1982. Whoa. You do you do know what you're talking about. Yes, powerful song. Yeah, and I don't have to tell you that it was recorded in Air Studios in London and then released on Chrysalis Records. Yes. Yeah, you already knew that. Yeah, or Chrysalis. Whatever. Yes. <laughs> cocoon. We'll call it Cocoon Records. Chrysalis. I don't say those words I know very you often. Don't. I know. I don't I, say it either. We get a freaking paper mill. I know. God damn. God damn it. So it's a synth pop new wave song. So is the band. Which is good because they produce synth pop new wave music, so they know what they're doing. Um, there's not much on this song in particular, but we can get into a little bit of Ultravox themselves. This song did come to the U.S. and it only made it to number 71 on the top 100. Made it to number 10 on the Irish singles chart, though. Ah, thanks for nothing. Yeah, what the hell? What's going on in Ireland? The Ultravox, which uh, earlier was called Ultravox, with exclamation, exclamation point. point. That's like Wham UK. Yeah. It used to be Wham exclamation point UK. And then, then they were just Wham. Yes. Wham. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, and they started in 1973. They were known as Tiger Lily. Of course. I mean, right there, that says enough. That's all you need. And uh, the had a couple lineup changes throughout their career and uh, they were active from 73 to 88 and then they reunited in 1992 and they reunited and it felt so good and then they stopped in 1996 and then reunited again in 2008 <laughs> it's kind of like Kiss's uh, <laughs> farewell, farewell tour and all the share and who else is having a farewell tour uh, Ozzy was wasn't he yes is he still, or is he? I don't know. At home, he got sick, so I don't know. Yeah, hanging out on this bed of dogs with uh, Sharon. So yeah, that's pretty much all we got on Ultravox. What did you think? What were your thoughts on that powerful synth pop song? I I liked it. It sounded like a uh, I don't know, kind of flock of seagulls ish, Gary Newman ish, the Cars ish. Um, but it was definitely nineteen eighties synth pop for sure. Had the uh, the great synthesizer sound. Yeah, sweeping synthesizers, haunting mm-hmm. lyrics, powerful. Yeah. I don't even know what the song is about. Someone said it might be communism. I don't even... <laughs> Let me ask you this. Yeah. To you, are you more about the rhythm and melody or the lyrics on a song, generally? Uh, I'm all about rhythm and melody. Some, you know, beats are good, too. It's usually what I give the song. That like I think You and I have talked about this, I think. Uh, songs usually got about 10 seconds with me. And if I don't feel it within the first 10 seconds, I get bored. And then I listen to the words after all that. 
Yeah, to me, I would say rhythm and melody. Some some songs, you know, like the if they're really deep, like the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. You know, you, right. you listen to those lyrics and yeah, but it catches your attention, right? Yes, but to me, like you know, the the cook says it's too rough to feed you. Right. And then later he says it was good to know you, knowing that they're all going to die. Right. I mean, that that hits you, the lyrics there. Yeah. But then in some songs, it you know, the lyrics could be mean anything. And, you know, it's just about the groove. Right. Now, Gordon Lightfoot, speaking of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, was a wordsmith in his own right. If you listen to all of his music, they all have great, great lyrics. And I am a big Gordon Lightfoot fan. Do so. they sing about chrysalises or not? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Legend don't know. lives on when the buffalo and then the butterfly comes out of the cocoon. <laughs> out of his chrysalis? <laughs> Moths come out of cocoons and butterflies come out of chrysalises. Spook- Powerful. Spooky. Thank you. Uh, that was almost <laughs> Now I need lotion. Yes. Oh, yuck. <laughs> Powerful song of the day. It's natural. Ultravox, Reap the Wild Wind. Are we going to do a song of the day playlist? Yeah, tell the fans of Flock of Amish. How, how do we do that? Now, you uh, had a powerful idea on Twitter, at Amish B Machine. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Amish B Machine. That's where you get the latest up-to-date on the Flock of Amish. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. Like our Facebook page. We are on YouTube. Make sure you powerfully subscribe. Also, no matter where you hear this powerful podcast, please leave a review. Five-star review is the best. And that will unlock the most powerful chrysalises. <laughs> so wherever you listen, <laughs> Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, we're everywhere. Please leave a review. Also, if you want to support this powerful podcast, please check out our merch. AmishBabyMachine.com. We have powerful merch, hoodies, stickers, t-shirts, whatever you need. Also, Patreon, patreon.com, powerful links on AmishBabyMachine.com, where you can help support this show. Jesus, all you do is uh, self-promote? Yes. God, Speaking of that, let's promote. Okay, let's promote the 945 show then. The 945 show? Yes, I said 945. You did. That's all right. A lot of people don't say it right. I don't know why. It's just the time of the day. Jesus Christ. 945 show. It's where I interview local musicians. Uh, check us out everywhere on every platform except for like Stitcher and Podbean, but I'm everywhere else. The 945 show. Uh, you can check me out on the social medias as well Mike Res Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Twitter is where I'm more active. I'm a lot funnier on Twitter. You really are. I, mean, I don't know what it is. Instagram, it's okay. I don't take a lot of pictures. At least I, I don't anymore. I used to take like daily pictures and post them on there. But if you want the good shit, you got to go to Twitter at Mike Res Radio. Yeah. Or you can find uh, find us both in uh, podcast groups. Powerful. Now that you're done tooting your horn, please tell us about the Spotify uh, playlist. All right. So if, uh, we decided that uh, when we come up with these songs of the day, that people might actually want to hear what the hell we're talking about. So on Spotify, we're going to start the Amish baby machine song of the day playlist so we will add the previous songs of the day plus the song we talk about in every episode so it's just going to be an ongoing list so uh amish baby machine is on spotify correct it is okay so when we come up with the uh with the playlist 
it'll be shared on Twitter and the other social medias. And then we will, then you have to go and to that, follow that link and then follow that list and it will be updated constantly. And then when you pump your iron or, or do the dishes or whatever you do to, when you listen to us or you want to listen to music, you can. Making love. Oh yeah. Yes. I'll, I'll put powerful links. Stay tuned at Amish B machine and we'll get you the Spotify ABM song of the day playlist. Yeah, that's going to be sweet. I think a lot of people are going to be happy with that. Playlist. Yes. Thank you for that powerful idea, Mike Riz. Oh, you're welcome. I couldn't wait to tell you too. Once no. the idea popped in my no, head. No, I, I love ideas. If you guys have ideas for us, what to talk about, whatever, hit us up on Twitter at Amish B machine. I'm on there 24 seven with powerful tweets. Now, Mike Rez, let's uh, segue into the creepy world of the smiley face killers. Do a powerful uh, background. Tell us what's going on with the smiley face killers, the theory. All right. Well, the smiley face killers, for those that uh, don't know, but our our, uh, our listeners are, are smart. The flock is very in tune to what's going on. Uh, but for people who don't know, the smiley face murder theory is... At a theory uh, that's been being advanced by some retired New York City detectives, Kevin Gannon, Anthony Dorate, and Dr. Lee Gilbertson, who is a criminal justice professor from St. Cloud State University. So we have, uh, there's actually a, a third New York City detective that's retired that is helping them out as well. And I don't really, I don't have his name here, but... Um, they do have a television show that aired on Oxygen, which you can find on YouTube and on the NBC app if you want to check them out. There's six episodes of the Smiley Face Killers, uh, and of those episodes, those six episodes, they follow one person that uh, they believe that has been killed. So they're about, the uh, Smiley Face Killers um, are about the uh, young men that have been found dead near bodies of water or in bodies of water across the Midwest. Uh, that includes Minnesota, Wisconsin. Um, there's some in Michigan, Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, and then um, the other one with Boston, Massachusetts. It's like 100 cases that are very similar. And these men go missing after a night out on the town with their buddies, and they get separated somehow by hook or crook or whatever. And uh, they end up going missing and then turning up dead. And it could be days later or it could be months later. Uh, it just kind of depends on, on what's going on. Each, each case is a little different, but I think near 20 or 30 of them, they found graffiti uh, in the shape of smiley faces. So that's how they get the smiley face killer or smiley face gang uh, name dubbed by uh, this detective, Kevin Gannon. And uh, he's kind of made it his mission in retirement. Actually, these four guys have to uh, try to track down uh, some more evidence. Because in all these cases, at first, they have been uh, ruled accidental drowning by undetermined causes. And so they just want to find enough evidence to reopen the investigation and have them classified as homicides. So they're not out to prove Police departments, stupid or wrong, they just want to get enough evidence to open the cases back up, just so the families can get a little bit more closure. Because a lot of these cases, the families know 
that that's probably not what happened. There's just too many questions. And they, uh, it, it seems like in a lot of these cases, the police department just want to get it done and over with so they can get it on to the next case. Now, when you say bodies of water, is it typically rivers or lakes or what? Uh, most of them are rivers. They're, they found a couple, they found a couple in, in lakes, um, but usually the rivers are where they find them. So the Mississippi River, the Allegheny, whichever the one is in Boston, I can't remember the name of it. But yeah, they, uh, they usually find them, and it's usually around search areas that they've already searched, like days or weeks or months later. So that's what kind of brings up some suspicion as far as when they actually entered the body of water, were they alive or dead when they were put in there. Some of the similarities between everyone is they're college-age guys usually. Yep. They're usually white. Mm-hmm. They're usually high GPA athletes. So it's kind of a weird thing going on. Yeah. And it's not targeted uh, to gay or straight because there's uh, some of both in these cases. But I think they said in the, uh, the, the uh, combined GPA of all of these cases is like 3.75. So they're not dumbasses, you know, they no. have a good head on them. No. And, it, and what else bothered me too is uh, GHB was found in a lot of them, which is a date rape drug. Yeah, it is the date rape drug. Yes. Yeah. So I, when I was doing some research on it, so we all have that that gene or drug in us, chemical GHB, uh, but they were finding them at elevated levels in these bodies. So it would only come from being given that date rape drug. So these guys ended up floating in a river, mm-hmm. which to me is weird. And a lot of times the positioning was wrong too. Usually if you fall in the river... Your face down, floating, right back up. But a lot of these guys, they were floating on their back, and they had like their hands arranged. Yeah, and they've all had injuries inconsistent with being in the river for a while, as well. I think in the the first episode that I watched on the Smiley Face Killer, the name of that guy, Dakota James, was that victim, um, and he made it through a lock and dam, and they were trying to figure out how without having any damage to his body. And so they went back and actually interviewed the the guy that was working at the lock and dam that day in charge of everything. And they actually got the, the dam master's log to see how high or low the, the dam doors were. And the day that he was found, the dam doors were only open a couple inches, you know, less than a foot. So there's no way a body could float through that. And if, even if it did... There's no way it was getting through in one piece, but somehow the body was through in one piece and there wasn't hardly any, any injuries to that body. So they thought there's no way this guy was in the river for 40 days. Plus the skin color wasn't right. The skin, you know, this tone, they said it should be for 40 days. You should have like almost black skin. And this guy's skin coloring was still white and pale and bruises as well. Um, if you bruise, and you're dead, that can't happen because there has to be blood flow in order for bruising to be, to be present. There was a lot of questions about every death. So I, I made it through three episodes, and in each of these episodes, it ends with the families going back to the police departments, asking them to reopen cases. And uh, they just, when they produce the shows, they just 
hadn't given the police departments enough time to say whether they opened it or closed it or what happened. So you don't get a lot of closure except for you just find out that they find a lot more evidence in these shows. So what? They think it's a gang or an affiliate, a group, single people. What is the theory on the actual group that's supposedly doing the killings? This uh, Gannon guy, the detective who's kind of in charge of this whole process, Kevin Gannon, uh, in an interview in an article you sent me, uh, he was he didn't give out a lot of information because a lot of these cases uh, might be reopening. Um, but he said that there, uh, you know, could be a group of uh, cells. He called them so there are different cells in these cities. So Minneapolis has a cell. Lansing, Michigan has a cell. Now Pennsylvania has a couple cells. Boston has a cell. So he's thinking these groups are working together and targeting these men. Even tactically, he said, you know, they're not just picking them out randomly, that they might actually be following them for days or weeks ahead of time, trying to figure out where they go, you know, what routes they take to get there, what routes they go home, when they're going to be in certain spots. And then when they decide to strike, you know, they kind of pick a fight with them and then wait to see if they get separated from their group. And then that's when they, they pounce and get them. And what, then, what is the motive? I don't, there isn't a motive that he wanted to mention. Uh, he said that the police know the motive. That was in that article that I read that you sent me. Interesting. Yeah. So he said there are some names, and there's the name, there's an actual name of the gang, but he was being really coy about a lot of that information. He said, uh, he kept saying the authorities know, the authorities know. So this retired police officer, is, as much as he wants it out there that he's looking, he also doesn't want it out there about the information he's finding. It's really weird, too, because at first you're like, oh, come on, how would there be gangs wanting to do that? Right. But then if you think about pedophiles, every day in the news you see these giant rings. Right. I mean, it's not just one evil person. It's this whole group thing, and it's just amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and with the dark web, I mean, you don't know what's going on on the dark web. There's chat rooms where these people are getting together. Oh, it's horrible, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's anything is possible. Yeah, it really is. Because like I said, you know, you think about one creepy person, but then like in pedophilia, there's groups and there's doctors and lawyers and right. people in there. Usually about 50 to 60, they pick up at a time. Yeah. And what's weird about this too is usually predators, you know, even in the animal kingdom, they go after the weak, the sick, the elderly. But this, if it is a gang, they're targeting dudes that are physically fit athletes yep and intelligent right so that's what's weird because usually predators they don't want a an extra fight you know when they size someone up they look for someone that's going to be an easy mark right which is why they think that they're getting drugged with the state rape drug correct so they you know yes that way they're not but even to target you know what i mean i don't right i'm trying to where, is there signs that they were sexually assaulted, or what? Do we know anything? Um, it, everything I've read and seen, no, there isn't any sign. It's usually uh, defensive or offensive uh, wounds, if any. Um, otherwise, you know, like I said, the first the Dakota James, he didn't have any marks on him. So, and um, there was another one, Will, in Boston. You know, he was in in a river for a while. His clothes didn't look like they. We're in the river for very long. 
Luke Holman was the second uh, episode I watched. He was in the Mississippi in lacrosse, and he was floating near the bottom, yet his clothes were spotless almost. There was hardly any mud on him, and they said they found him six days after he had been in the water. Yeah, it's really weird, too. You're in a bar, you're with your friends, you get separated. And a lot of these guys weren't even really big drinkers. I mean, that's where the GHB comes in, where it makes it look like you're drunk. Yeah, and that was actually in the first episode. The mom said there's no way he had, you know, was too drunk and fell in the river. And one of one of the uh, investigators even said, so when the cops were investigating, they said, well, he was just drunk and fell in the river. You know, when you're drunk, you fall in the river. And they're like, well, then how come that doesn't happen after every Pittsburgh Steelers home game? Because the, the stadium, Three River State, or whatever they're playing in now is right on the river as well. And they were saying with, with the odds and percentages that the cops were telling the parents, then 2,000 people every game would be in the river. No, it's ridiculous. Because if you look at the way rivers are set up, and I mean, unless the bar is right on the river and someone would see them fall in, you know? Right. I mean, you exactly. got to go out of your way to find the river. You got to, they're usually embankments. You don't just fall into the river. No. Not and then at if all. you do fall into the river, like I said, you're not going to be floating on your back. There's going to be sign. Yeah, it's really weird. Right. Yeah. And we have, uh, we have a couple of cases here in Minnesota, but we picked, we picked one um, that's a little, a little suspicious. And they, they don't, they, ha- they think they have a suspect. At least they did uh, since the last time they updated this, which was, uh, I think, 2008. Uh, but this story that I found on medium.com by Lisa Marie uh, Fuqua. I think that's how you pronounce her name. She wrote this last year uh, about a a Halloween night in 2002. And some people might remember Chris Jenkins uh, was a University of Minnesota student from Wisconsin. And he was at a party at the Lone Tree Bar and Grill. I'm not sure if that's still there or not in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, But they were at a Halloween party there. Uh, and he was there with some friends and his girlfriend, and Chris got separated. But what happened was that sometime after midnight, uh, Chris Jenkins spilled a drink on himself by accident, Um, and the security team thought he was really intoxicated and pissed himself, so they kicked him out, Um, and he was kicked out of the bar. Bouncer wouldn't let him back in, but the only problem was is that his cell phone and his keys and his jacket were still inside with his girlfriend and his friends, and they don't know where he's at. It's 20 degrees outside. And he goes missing wearing a Halloween costume. And the story is that uh, the head of security at Lone Tree Bar uh, may have been having an affair with his girlfriend. and Allegedly. Allegedly. And kicked, uh, had the bouncers kick him out so he could flirt with Chris Jenkins' girlfriend all night long. And uh, that never made it into the report because the police department didn't want to break up a marriage. That's uh, what they said? Yeah, that's what they said. They didn't, want to, they didn't want to ruin a marriage, is what they said. So Chris goes missing. They can't find him. Uh, everyone thought he just tried to walk home, everyone that he was with. But the next day, he didn't show up, and he wasn't anywhere to be found. So they went to go look for him. Uh, they couldn't find him. The last person uh, to saw him said that uh, he was headed north, so they were checking bridges and everywhere. Four months go by, and no clues, no word, 
nothing. And then they find him uh, in the river on February 27, 2003, and his body had been wedged in branches of a fallen tree near the upper St. Anthony Falls Dam, uh, which is uh, right by the Stone Arch Bridge. So after they pulled him from the water and performed an autopsy, it was revealed that it was Chris Jenkins, and he was still wearing his Halloween costume. So that's a little creepy right there. Uh, the official cause of death was undetermined, but the police believed it was an accidental drowning. Uh, his family didn't think that it was that so cut and dry. So they uh, launched their own investigation. So they hired their own private investigator who retraced Chris's steps uh, that night. And they went to go talk to the staff. The staff said he wasn't kicked out, even though everybody saw him getting kicked out. And that was the initial report they gave to the police. And then the uh, owner of the bar had uh, his attorney issue a gag order on all the employees. Whoa. So they couldn't talk to the private investigator anymore. So the night of Halloween, uh, as we mentioned, an off-duty police officer, uh, Mike Casey, was at the bar. He was working security. Uh, he knew Chris's girlfriend, Ashley. And uh, this is where it gets a little, little crazy on this side. So he actually loaned Ashley, Mike Casey, the cop, loaned Ashley a, uh, one of his uniform shirts for a sexy police officer that night. Uh-oh. Yeah. So, Five thickens. Yep. The rumor going around at the time was that Officer Mike Casey had told the security supervisor at the bar to have Chris removed because he wanted Chris out of the picture that night so he could flirt with Ashley. Then later, after Chris was gone, he gave Ashley a ride home. That's, according to the article, that's factual? Yes. Um, but yeah, so the, and then the Minneapolis police department never questioned Mike Casey formally when asked why, uh, they said he, he was a married man with children and we don't want to break up a family. Wow. Yep. So I think they, they knew more than what was going on with that part of the story. So after retracing, uh, Chris's steps, the private investigator realized that the route home for Chris would have taken him over the Hennepin Avenue bridge. Uh, he found that the uh, Federal Reserve Bank in that area had two outside security cameras facing in that direction. Uh, but when they reviewed the footage, there was no signs of Chris. Um, and so he had not started to walk home. So the family knew they needed to try to find out where Chris went. So they hired a canine unit with two different uh, bloodhounds that tracked Chris's scent from the Lone Tree Bar to a restaurant across from the bar, Times Square Pizza and Subs. From there, the Bloodhounds each tracked Chris's scent further to an underground parking garage next to the pizza shop. The scent came to parking stalls number 89 and 90. Uh, and then uh, they found out that uh, one of the bouncers was parked in one of those spots. Uh, so the Bloodhounds also found a hint of Chris on the vehicle of that bouncer uh, that was parked there that night. What was that? Say that again now. So the Bloodhounds tracked Chris's scent. Okay. To two parking spots. And they found out one of the bouncers from the bar was parked in one of those spots. So they had the dog sniff the bouncer's car, and they found hints of Chris in the car as well. What do you mean hints? Uh, they must have hit him, you know, with this scent. You know, the dogs, oh, okay. you know, the dogs go crazy. Uh, so uh, they investigated the car because now it's a possible crime scene. Yes. And uh, the search for evidence began. 
The investigators would recover blood droplets and a red feather fragment from the car uh, and a red string that could be parts of the headband that Chris had been wearing that night. Private investigators started looking more closely at the movement around the pizza shop and garage that night. Several people had seen a group of 10 or more people attacking someone in front of the Times Square pizza and subs, but no one was sure if it had been Chris. So there's possible fight involved. Okay. Which is uh, kind of a... It goes along with the smiley face killer gang, you know, uh, signs of struggle, and more than one person involved as well. So from the pathologist report, it was known that Chris's blood alcohol level was 0.12%, so he was not drunk, you know, like blackout drunk. He may have been drunk, but not blackout drunk. It also showed that traces of uh, the date rape drug were in his system, uh, which was used to uh, probably sedate him. And the pathologist had performed the autopsy, also noted some strange inconsistencies with the body. First, he was found with his arms crossed in front of him, uh, which is odd for the victims, like you noted. And uh, the clothing was, uh, unusual, was usually disheveled, too, but Chris's shirt was still tucked into his drawstring pants, and the slip-on moccasins were still on his feet, which led people to believe that he was not in the water very long, because the slip-on shoes, your slip-on shoes, probably would have fallen off after four months in the river. I agree. Also, when he was pulled from the river, there was a clump of hair in his left hand. Wow. Uh, that was never tested, and it had been filed away after being labeled foreign matter in left hand. And then when they finally tested it years later, uh, it was Chris's own hair. So... What do you think that means? I'm not sure. Maybe they're... Uh, so if this is like a smiley killer gang or like a serial killer... Would that probably just be something to throw people off, right? I don't know. That's creepy, though. And I don't think someone would pull out their own hair and then jump into a river. Yeah, that's strange. Yeah. Um, and then the lack of bruising uh, seemed to throw the family off as well. Uh, Chris was an avid lacrosse goalie and usually was covered in bruises on his legs and arms. And before that night, he had two games that week and practice. So they said he should still have had bruises. Uh, that weren't healed, um, and he was bruiseless. So they're assuming that he was alive for a couple of days after he went missing or before he was placed in the river. All right. So then the bruises healed, or he, you know, he'd obviously been alive for a while. Uh, a hydrologist who studied the Mississippi River didn't believe that Chris's body could have been in the water for four months and not have been spotted. He researched the temperatures in the area and found that the river didn't freeze over until January that year. Uh, also, the area under the 3rd Street Avenue Bridge, where Chris's body was found, uh, had been combed for weeks after he disappeared. That's so, interesting, too. Yeah. Because right away, that's... Yeah. Like I said, they yes. usually found pretty close to areas they've searched yes. multiple times. And there's typically people living under bridges in that area. Right. And in that area, it's, I mean, the Stone Arch Bridge is a very popular yes. spot. And so yeah. is that the dam. So somebody would have seen them in the four months that he was, if he had been there the whole time. So four years after Chris went missing, the family finally got the police to reopen the investigation. And it was after a, a new police chief took over um, that sat down with them and reviewed the evidence they had collected. But only then Chris's death was reclassified from accidental drowning to homicide, which is the key because that's what you need to reopen the case to start the investigation again. Um, after this, an informant came forward with new information. He said he had seen someone he knew throw Chris off the bridge 
the Hennepin Avenue bridge. Uh, but this seems unlikely to anybody who studied the case, because if Chris had been thrown off the bridge, he would have hit the steel support beam and metal cables on his way down, and his body would have shown multiple injuries, which it didn't. Uh, to date, no one has been charged for the murder. Mur- for the murder, uh, some speculate it was a fight that got out of hand. Others believe it could be part of the smiley face killings uh, that took the lives of many college-age men in the Midwest. Their bodies were found in the water after a night of drinking and the smiley face painted nearby. But without knowing where Chris went into the river, it's hard to look for the smiley face graffiti. Wow. Yeah, so another story that I read, it said that uh, they had named a suspect, but they don't have enough evidence to charge this suspect, and he could already be in jail or prison anyway for something else. The thing is weird about uh, a river, like the crime scene. Like normally if you have a crime scene at a house, you tape it all off and everything's secure. But the river, what do you do? It's just a big flowing mass of water. So they typically, I think part of it's lazy work. They just say, oh, he fell in and he drowned. Right. You know. Yeah, they don't want to do the extra work. No. Yeah, it seemed like when I was watching the show, so these ex-cops were, you know, they, they kind of know the lingo and know what's going on. And they even they, they said it sounded like they were just trying to wrap up an investigation so they can move on to the next one. And they said a lot of these police departments aren't very helpful when they go in to reinvestigate evidence, mainly because... Nobody wants a serial killer in their area. No. So, you know, they, they understand why they're not being very forthcoming with evidence and information, but they, you know, they're trying to make it their retirement life duty to figure out uh, more about these murders because they're all convinced that this gang or these cells exist. They just can't find enough evidence to prove it. Now, did you, uh, in your re- powerful research, did you find out a reason why they think it was a gang versus just if you see some uh, drunk guy stumbling, just a crime of uh, convenience, oh, let's jack this guy, take his money and throw him in the river versus an organized gang? Uh, they're not quite sure why, if it's a gang, why they're doing it. Um, at least this uh, Gannon detective uh, wasn't didn't mention it. I don't think any anybody that's interviewed him has asked him why they think it's a gang. I think maybe he just thinks it is because to get, uh, you know, an athletic male college age kid somewhere you want them, you might need more than one person to, to drag him away. Uh, in one of the cases they found a boot print on the guy's forehead, but they don't think it was a stomp. They think that one person was just holding him down with his boot by the head while other people held his arms or legs or something. But the force that they were thinking let, left a mark would have to be like a full body weight type of force trying to keep someone down. Wow. Yeah. So they, they just think, I think they think that it, it's multiple people just because of how these kids are built, you know, when they get taken. You know, even on a sedative, you're still dealing with, you know, a six-foot athletic college-age kid who's 20, 21, 22 years old probably still going to try to put up a fight. Yes. That's why, like I said, I think it's strange because usually predators go after, you know, like I said, the weak, the sick, the young, the elderly, not someone in the prime physical condition of their life. Yeah. 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 And and like you said, the profile is, you know, young, smart, and athletic. Yes. So, you know, maybe some kind of resentment towards athletes. Well, that too, maybe like, 
yeah, some people resent beautiful women and strike out at them. Maybe right. it's a version of that. Yeah, it could be. Jealousy. Yep. You have everything, I have nothing. Yeah, and it's weird about, they talk about the smiley face graffiti. They say that's common. I don't know, I don't know. I don't see a lot of graffiti, but what I've seen, I haven't seen smiley faces. I haven't either. I was trying to think that, too. I, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen no. a smiley face. I mean, I've seen a, peop- a ton of people tagging their name. I've seen a ton of of uh, art, you know, graffiti artwork, murals. I've seen them on trains, subways. I've never seen a smiley face. Not that, not to say it's not common, but I haven't seen it. Also, the argument was that all the smiley faces were different styles. Right. Well, if they're different gangs, of course they're going to look different. Yeah, if it's a different person doing it every time. And, and then one person thought it was strange that a lot of them were orange paint, and that's what uh, people that work in uh, road crews use that. Yeah. And then maybe it was someone that you know knew about that and. Yeah, it's funny because you said one of the, uh, I think it was, so Luke Holman, uh, he was the, uh, one of the cases that they found um, an orange smiley face near the spot they think that he went in. And on his clothes, so they were able, his parents were able to get his clothes from the police after like eight years. You know, they said, do you think you can ask the police for their, for the clothes? So they did, and they were able to get them, and they found orange they got orange fleck, so orange spots on his clothes. So they did an analysis of the of the specs, and they said that it was nail polish. Well, then they found out that you can get spray on nail polish and get it in a can or a bottle or whatever, but you can spray it. So, and I don't know why they didn't test it. So they had a picture. They kept, they showed you the picture of the smiley face they found, and it looked like it was a spray paint spray paint can or something, you know. And then they find out that on his clothes, it's orange nail polish which his parents thought was weird because he wasn't dating anybody at the time. I mean, obviously it could have been from a female friend that he knew, but then they found out about the orange nail polish, but they didn't test the theory to see if spray orange nail polish could, if they could replicate how that smiley face looked. So, so I know they found the word Sinsinawa, a Native American term. Was that, what do we know? Was that near a lot of the crime scenes, near the smiley face graffiti? Yeah, it's a, uh, occasionally they discover the word uh, Sinsinawa. We think we're pronouncing that right. right. It's Chippewa for grave Yes. or rattlesnake. But yeah, they found that... Uh, Ojibwe, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So they found that word uh, near some of the smiley faces. Um, but the problem is, is it's kind of a common word in the states they found it in. So in Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, we have a lot of Native American heritage around here. Uh, just Correct. like the rest of the United States, but especially in those two states. Um, and that's where they found uh, the majority of that graffiti uh, was in the states that have a high Chippewa or Ojibwe population. So they Interesting. don't know. Interesting. I'd like to look more into that, talk to some people. Yeah. If so, that really is a common term. Yeah. So they don't know if it's connected or not. They just noticed that it was, you know, with some of these smiley faces. Interesting. Yeah. So it, it's kind of kind of cool to see, you know, that there's people out there that are still looking, you know, and they've taken it as their retirement goal to try to help solve more of these cases and try to, you know. Well, these are New York homicide detectives. Right. These, these aren't dummies. No. And, and I don't think they're looking for fame. No. There's a lot of easier ways to 
Yeah, and they even talk about that in the in the show. Uh, you know, they have the professor from St. Cloud State too. Um, they've been doing it for a while. So they said if they were looking for fame, you would have heard about them before last year. So people have known them. They've been they've started investigating these uh, for over a decade now. Uh, but it was just last year that Oxygen picked up on what they were doing and they did their show. And it's yeah. it's weird because right away when you think you go, oh, come on, why would a gang be doing that? Oh, why would? But then you find out that life is stranger than fiction. I mean, there is groups of these creepy people. Right. They gravitate towards each other. And like you said, the dark web makes it even easier for them to communicate. Right. You know, you have weirdos like the Zodiac Killer and... Son of Sam. Yes. Yeah. Those were typically, they were obviously loners, but like I said, there's other crime gangs and it's creepy. It really is weird. Yeah. And at this point, you know, some of these killings, you know, go back to the 2000s and here we are in 2020. I mean, are they recruiting younger killers in this gang to continue on? Yes. And even let's say there's hundreds of cases you could throw out, you know, the ones that don't really fit and narrow it down, but there's still a ton of cases yeah. that are weird. Yeah. And the first, the first episode of the smiley face killers on, you know, the, the show you can find, uh, that case was 2017. So, I mean, it, it's pretty recent still that these college kids are still dying near rivers and being found in rivers. Yeah, the whole river thing to me just seems really weird. It's kind of creepy. And it's actually and it's and it's weird how they get separated from their group. Yeah, every time. Yes. And it's not like not like the the killers aren't you know, if they're killers, they're not separating them. They just wait for them to be separated and then they go in. Or at a bare minimum, it's just creepy that there's people that even if it's just a crime or opportunity of opportunity, just to prey on some person in that condition. Right, yeah. It's just creepy. Yeah. The uh so the the kid in uh Boston, uh, Will Hurley, what was creepy about that one is that he disappeared in mid conversation with his girlfriend on the phone. Wow. So he said his uh phone was dying and uh she was picking him up from the garden because he was at a Boston Bruins game and he was he left early. And his phone dies in the middle of their conversation, but before his phone dies, she asks him where he is and says I'm 99 whatever street so she puts it in her phone and she's 150 feet away so she goes to that address which is like a like a parking lot and she gets there and she can't find him anywhere and they said where they found his phone she definitely would have seen him if he was where they found his phone wow that is weird yeah so they don't something happened within that 150 feet that he disappeared and somehow the police were saying when they found him, he had actually walked another block and a half and then fell in the river. And they, but where they found his phone, there was no way that, uh, that he would have been at that location without her seeing him. And she was talking to him. She was talking so to him on the phone. So he was lucid. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm totally out of it. I'm just going to fall in the river. No. And, and she said there was, there was nothing in, her, in his voice that made it sound like he was drunk. Um, and... But when they, they show the security camera of him coming out of the garden, it does look like he's stumbling a little bit. But she said you couldn't tell he was, he was drunk if he was drunk. So they were wondering if he had gotten drugged. Well, that's the thing the with GHP. Right. You know, it, it puts you to sleep. Yeah. It erases your memories. 
So who knows when he got hit up with that, you know? Right. Yeah. So he, uh, you know, he's just walking out, talking to her and was trying to get picked up from a game and he disappeared within 150 feet in the wow, middle of a conversation. Creepy. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you, what do you chalk that up to? You know, it's not like he just vanished and ended up in the river somehow. So, and they found him up river from where they suspected he entered the river. <laughs> they were saying, yeah. there's no way. No. So the, the current would not take you up. No. And like I said, you know, I mean, people have been doing it forever, throwing, throwing their guns in the river, throwing their knives in the river, right? throw a body in the river. I mean, it takes care of so much evidence. Yep. And then, like you said, if someone's lazy doing their police work, you know, oh, he fell and he was drinking, yeah. Right. That's their conclusion. Yeah. So I just, it's like in every one of these cases, it's drowned undetermined. Wow. Yeah. So what do you guys think? Flock of Amish people listening. This is a weird, creepy subject. Smiley face killers. Good job on the research, Mike Rez. Thank you. Powerful. What'd you think of this episode? Uh, it was it was powerful. We yes. have to do a lot more research in this one. Yes. So my brain kind of hurts. Yes. It hurts when I think too. I mean, it's kind of weird because normally uh, we do uh, upbeat stuff, and now we went into the true crime. <laughs> What did you guys think? Did you enjoy this episode? We appreciate everyone that listened to this powerful episode. We just ask you one thing. Please tell a friend. And speaking of friends, uh, Mike Rez, let's do some shout outs here. It's my favorite part of the show. Do you want to do them or do you want me to do them? No, you go ahead. All right. I want to see you with your reading glasses on, Gramps. Power, powerful shout outs. Here we go. We couldn't get to all of them. I couldn't write them down because my hands started cramping up. <laughs> here are some. The Think Funny Podcast. Drep and Stone podcast, Matt Varish, Only podcast, The Blitz Morning Show, Ken Marsiglia, Jamie Apps, Megan T. Cherry, Bad Seed, and Who's Got the Remote. We hope you guys had a good time tonight, and until next time, you've just enjoyed the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast. It is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else fine podcasts are found. Please support our podcast through Patreon and shop our merch at AmishBabyMachine.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. This has been an Amish Baby Machine production.